everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And I have a real treat for you guys because I've had a lot of people messaging me over this past years, ever since last, I think it was December, that we recorded an episode together, wanting to know, who is that, that Scottish girl that you did the episode with? What's that <laughs> podcast you guys did? And I'm like, it was Witch Murderer, it's Witch Murderer. So we got to have her back on. So, hey, Gemma, welcome back. Hi, thank you so much. That's really made my day. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. So happy. Thank you. We're happy to have you because... A lot of our nurses that listen to this, and, and there's a lot of people that, that aren't nurses or in the medical profession that, that listen, but a lot of them just like the true crime aspect of it. And that's your podcast, The Witch Murderer. is It's, it's a true crime podcast, and it has a little different twist. That's right. Tell them a little bit how it works. I will, yes. So um, it's myself and my co-host, Holly. She's Canadian. And we have a podcast that launches every Friday. And as Tina said, it's called Witch Murderer. We discuss a case each every week based on a theme and then at the end of the episode we speak a bit more about the method and how the people died and then we do a little bit of a a macabre sort of twist on it and we think well if you had to have picked which way to die which way would you have picked and you know we try to keep it very professional and very respectful but it's just a different way of looking at it, I suppose. And I don't think there's anybody else out there that's doing it. So we have fun with it. And there's a lot of good research that goes into it. So yes. please come and have a listen if you if you fancy it. Yes, you, de- you guys definitely research your stories extensively. If you want to hear a story in its you know, entirety and get all the details, you definitely need to listen to their podcast. And they also are very funny. They're really funny and not in (laughs) in a disrespectful way at all to the victims, but just, I don't know, just kind of in a, I cope with laughter kind of a way, which is kind of, that's (laughs) my thing too. I do the exact same thing. I I laugh at completely inappropriate times. So it's great. Sometimes just something comes out of a story and you're like, are you serious? Is that actually what happened? Because it's so so unbelievable. It's it's just ridiculous. Exactly. Well, we do that. That here too a little bit so totally <laughs> yeah, understandable some of, these, some of these cases you have covered I'm like really <sighs> a nurse did that <laughs> it's, it's in fact the, yeah. the bad nurse story that we're going to do today you just want to go what in the world so we'll, and we're going to get into that yeah we've got a good nurse story that's really nice it's a nurse from Scotland that we're going to talk about at the end of the show. I know I'm and, excited oh yeah and then to start <laughs> off we've got a little news story and I like I wanted to talk about this story because it is a topic that we need to keep out there in the forefront, and that is violence against nurses and other other healthcare professionals. Absolutely. This story is out of Oklahoma in the United States, and basically it's just talking about several nurses and other healthcare Mm. professionals that were attacked by a man in the emergency department. He came in with altered mental status. I guess he had taken hallucinogens, mushrooms, that sort of thing, and then became violent, just started hitting anyone that was around, including male, female nurses, just whoever. What do you think about this? It's just frustrating. We get, we keep seeing these stories over and over and over again. Yeah, I agree. And I think the, the level of violence that uh, this person exhibited towards these nurses, I think one of them needs stitches. Yes. And... You know, it's something that I I work with quite a lot in my job, maybe not so much anymore because I've moved into the community aspect of of nursing. But before when I was on the wards, we did experience quite a large number of assaults. And working in mental health is sort of part and parcel with the job. But I think if you work in an emergency department or general ward in that aspect, it should not be anything that should be tolerated at all. And as you say, it is becoming more and more common and it's it seems to be on the rise almost that nurses and other health professionals are being treated in this way and it's just unacceptable in my opinion. I agree. Some of these things are just going to be unavoidable and everyone understands nurses, physicians, all kinds of healthcare providers understand that we are in the line of fire when it comes to we're at the front lines and we're going to be Yeah having to deal with people who sometimes don't know what they're doing. Sometimes it's because they've done it to themselves and taken drugs like this man. Sometimes it's because mm-hmm. there are a lot of disease processes that can cause altered mental status. There's liver problems, yeah. all sorts of things. Delirium. Delirium, yeah. just Alzheimer's, lots of different things that don't have anything to do with anything the patient did to themselves necessarily that can cause them to be confused, combative, agitated, and violent. Yeah. So I don't, and I, I'm not excusing that either, but 
it's just, they're definitely, I, I feel like hospitals and administrations, they need to try to figure out a real way, a solid way to protect employees from this because it's a real problem. Absolutely. And I think especially in the emergency departments, that seems to be where the most common place to be assaulted is. There needs to be something done there. There needs to be, manager managers need to address that and, and make their staff more safe and make them feel safe to come to work in that sense. Yeah, I agree. The hospital issued a statement that said, on Tuesday evening, a patient became agitated and entered another patient's room. When this individual was confronted by our staff, he became combative and struck two of our nurses, one male and female. It said that the public safety officers responded within one minute and quickly got the situation under control. Both employees sustained minor injuries and were able to return to work, and the other patient was not injured. Thank goodness. And you know why the other patient wasn't injured? Probably because those nurses intervened and kept that patient. Yeah. Isn't that, that's exactly what happens. I can imagine this happening. Yeah. I've had this happen before where a patient confused comes out of their room because we were not allowed to put them in restraints. So, okay. and so, and this is not where I work right now, just to be clear. But so because we weren't allowed to put the patient in restraints, she came out of the room, wandered into another room before anybody realized it. And then as staff went to go get her and try to, you know, coax her back out, it just became a problem. And that's what happens. They don't know what they're doing and they're standing there and you're trying to get them out of this room. That patient, it's not fair to that patient that's in that bed, vulnerable that someone, yeah. yeah, confused is able to just wander over there and do whatever, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I can imagine those nurses literally just standing in the way of the other patient because that's your first instinct is to protect your patients. Yes. And they, I, I have no doubt that's exactly what happened. They immediately mm-hmm. went in there, put themselves in harm's way. And this guy, yeah. definitely, he's a young guy, probably pretty strong and looks like he probably could have done some damage, especially mm-hmm. on drugs like that. You know, it kind of, people get really strong when they're in that state. Absolutely. I commend these nurses and and the officers who responded so quickly to help them. So everything seemed to work kind of the way it was supposed to. They had him in restraints to begin with, but they were soft restraints and he just broke right out of them. That's another thing. So soft restraints, if somebody's being violent or combative or you you just can't really trust whether or not they possibly could because they are hallucinating or on drugs those softer strengths are I don't even I don't even know if they mean a whole lot <laughs> I think there needs to be something a little stronger no I, I don't imagine they would it's interesting because it's not something that we tend to use in the UK or Scotland in general I don't think we tend to use those sort of mechanical restraints but there is more of an onus put on sort of nurse restraints so in the areas that I've worked in we use a high level of nurses restraining rather than it being mechanical restraints um, however that's coming from a mental health point of view so I'm not sure if that's the same in sort of the general wards and things mm. like that. Yeah we have some we have leather uh, restraints that I know are used they're considered violent restraints and I the thing about violent restraints is that there are very strict protocols on those. And if you're having yeah. to restrain someone for being violent, they have to be assessed every 15 minutes yeah. for breakdown and for the need to continue them. There's just a lot of really strict rules about it. And mm-hmm. what I'm saying is the practicality of it, whether or not you can take care of a patient who's in those, quote, violent restraints. And so... yeah. Med surge restraints, which is what we refer to as the soft med surge restraints that are used for patients who are confused and pulling out their lines and, you know, pulling out okay. their IVs and that sort of thing. But it's not for violent. They're not for violent reasons. Yeah. And yeah. so, but if, but those have a little bit, the protocol is a little different. You don't have to assess them as often. The violent restraints are constant observation. You practically have to have a one-on-one. And staffing, that's laughable a lot of times in most hospitals across the entire world, I would say. So, yeah, I don't know. I think some changes are in order. That's why I wanted to talk about this because it just, I just want to keep it out there for people to be thinking about how important it is to think about the safety of the people working in these hospitals. Absolutely, Tina. So, that is our news story. Yeah. We have a bad nurse story that several people have. Yeah 
it's this story has been out there for a while and I keep getting requests and emails about it. <laughs> so I thought this is perfect because with you being over in Europe, this is a uh, nurses from Germany. Yeah. Everybody probably knows who it is now. So, <laughs> so it, <laughs> yeah, he's pretty famous right now. He's quite well, infamous even is a better word for him, I assume. It really, he really is. And as soon as this came yeah. out over the summer about progress that had been made in his case, everyone started sending me the story too. So it is Niles Hogel and Gemma and I decided we didn't want to spend too much time worrying about how to pronounce his name. So if either that's right <laughs> or wrong and we don't care. No, we don't care. We've decided he doesn't deserve it. Nah. <laughs> that's as good as we're going to do. But yeah, he is from Northern Germany and his father was a nurse as well. Yeah. And his, Isn't that interesting? his grandmother as well. Yeah. So yeah. Not so surprised about his grandmother being a nurse, but his father, I mean, that's sort of back in the day. Mm. This guy's, yeah. he wasn't exactly young himself. So think about how his father being a nurse back that long ago, it seems, I don't know about in Germany, but here that would have been pretty unusual for a man to have been a nurse that long ago. Yeah. I don't know what type of hospital it was. Um, we... I would say it's probably the same with ourselves in the general hospitals. Male nurses back then, well, that would have been quite unusual. But mental health hospitals, male nurses have been working there for, you know, quite a long time. Ah. Um, and it wasn't unusual to see a male nurse there. I suppose there was a little bit, maybe back in the day, there was a bit more of an onus on, oh, we need men here, strong men to protect us. and yeah. And then also back in the day, some people went into mental health nursing for the wrong reasons. Yeah. I think it would be quite unusual to see a male nurse back then, perhaps in the general hospitals. But I'm not entirely sure what sort of hospital this person worked in. Yeah. His mother was a paralegal in a law firm. Yeah. Interesting. He was the youngest of two children. He had an older sister. Mm -hmm. And he said he had a very sheltered or protected childhood. He wasn't exposed to violence at home. Interesting. Yeah, it's a little different than a lot of these stories, you know, sometimes. Yeah. A lot of people would get, you know, that was the only attention they got was if it was a violent home, but it sounds like he had, you know, a fairly stable childhood. Right. Yeah, so it's really kind of hard to understand really how all of this went wrong. But yeah. in 1997, he completed what they call a vocational nursing program there in Germany. Mm -hmm. So Niles, then after he completed his vocational nursing program at this, I, I'm going to have a really hard time pronouncing this, San Sanct Willahad Hospital. Yeah, that's good. Okay. I agree with that. <laughs> like, okay. So he's, he actually just completed his program there and then started working there as a nurse. And then in 2004, he was married and he and his wife had a daughter that same year. Yeah. In 1999, he started working in a different hospital. Yeah, that's when yeah. he moved hospitals. Um, and he was working in the cardiac surgery intensive care unit there. Yes, that's right. In Oldenburg. He had worked there on that CVICU in, for about two years. This is at the Oldenburg Clinic. And then in 2001... The hospital started noticing that there was a significant increase in the number of cardiac-related deaths yeah. that were going on. So that's kind of... You, yeah, suspicious. Oh, yeah. And as a hospital, you have to know that they are watching this sort of thing to, to see trends. They're looking at these numbers mm -hmm. and, and the statistics, and something like that is definitely going to jump out at them, and they're going to start looking at why. What is going on? Is Are we not using good hygiene techniques and are there infections? Yeah. Are there med errors? What's happening? Well, when they started looking into this, they decided, well, let's have a meeting and we'll pull everyone together, doctors, different mm -hmm. medical personnel. And Niles Hogel was in on this meeting. He was one of the people that was kind of pulled in. Yeah. And they did notice that Niles had been present at most of the cardiac related events. That was something that was kind of like, well, hmm, let's look at all of the employees mm -hmm. who were present at all of these events or the majority of them. And I that was apparently a pretty small list, but he was definitely one of them. Yeah. It's not something you can easily hide, I suppose, you know, if it's if it's such a strong team and it's not got a lot of uh, turnover of staff, then it's not something you're going to be able to hide behind. Right. If you're there all the time, then you're going to be head suspect, yes, really. exactly. So later on, after... He had been caught and he, I guess, was confessing about this later. He did 
tell them that when this meeting happened, he kind of thought they had found him out. I think he thought they were Mm -hmm. kind of approaching him and that they were going to be like, approach, you know, accusing him. Yeah. Explain this. And you can understand why. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're doing all of this, then you're going to be pretty on edge about it all the time and and worrying that people are going to find you out. And it's kind of disappointing that they didn't find him out at this point, really. No, it's it's really sad. It really is because it seems like they were really on to, they were really on to him. And what's really also interesting is when after this meeting, he got so anxious and nervous and sick that he called in sick for three weeks after this meeting. Oh, see, that's such a red flag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your manager would be like, why is this caused this much stress in you? Yeah, you would think that the hospital would have looked at that and said, wow, so we have this big meeting. We kind of make a note that he was present during all of these deaths or most of these deaths. Then all of a sudden he calls in sick for three weeks after this. Not yeah. And not only that, they also noticed that the deaths in the hospital or on his unit decreased significantly. While he was all Right. Oh, wow. Right. Can't be any clearer than that really, can it? You really would think so. Now, we probably are cleaning this up and making it seem like it should have been really obvious. Yeah, but who know. knows? It's, you know, how hindsight is. And that's that's really how it is. And in reality, I guess in a situation like this, you don't want to ruin someone's life by accusing them of something. Sometimes there are coincidences that happen. So maybe that's, who knows uh, what was going on in their minds. But it does seem as this progresses, because it gets pretty shocking, some of the things that happen yeah. and nothing was done about it. They looked at statistics from the deaths in the whole hospital as a whole, mm-hmm. and he was on duty for fifty-eight percent of all the deaths. That's got to be wow. Yeah, all the deaths in the hospital, and he was there for over half of them. That's unbelievable, right? So, the head of the cardiac head of cardiac surgery basically was like, "I want him off this unit." Yeah, he insisted that the hospital transfer him out of there, so they transferred him over to the anesthesia unit. Okay. I mean, I'm just thinking that's, I don't know whose idea that was, but that seems kind of, I'm sorry, but that seems kind of stupid to me. That yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. Cause he, I suppose he maybe he had maybe more of a, a chance to do what he was doing in the anesthesia ward, would you say? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I would think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then the head of that unit became suspicious as well because he seemed to be there and present whenever these emergent events were happening. Mm -hmm. So then in the fall of 2002, Hogel was asked to either resign with uh, three months full pay or take a position in the hospital transporting patients. So I guess like a transport nurse. Yeah. Nurse, uh, and maybe a nurse that would have to go with uh, very ill patients that couldn't go without a nurse. Maybe, I don't, I don't know, but that's, they were like either take this position transporting patients or resign and we'll give you three months pay. Right. Now, that seems a little bizarre to me, but then I also, where this state that I live in, in the United States is called, it's considered a right to work state, which means an employer can fire you at any time and really not have to have a reason. And you can quit at any time and not have to have a reason. They don't have to prove that you did something wrong in order to be able to fire you. Oh, okay. For me, I'm looking at this go, why did they just fire him? Yeah. But there probably were different laws in place that yeah. they had to kind of have a reason. Yeah. And EU law, which Germany would fall under, they have quite strict employment laws. So there has to be, you know, a series of things that that have to happen before you could be let go, including, you know, sort of different support put in by your employer or, you know, you get a certain amount of time to prove yourself, that sort of thing. But they really couldn't let him go without just reason. Yeah. And you would think, so would you not think that they would want to do some sort of an investigation or were they more concerned maybe that that would be bad publicity for the hospital and shed all kinds of light on them. And then they would be held responsible for these deaths. And so they just kind of wanted to maybe, is it possible? Oh, yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's possible they wanted to sweep this under the carpet for sure. Um, But then also, as you said earlier on, you know, they don't want to accuse someone without knowing 
the full evidence there, but they didn't even try to find the evidence. You know, they just tried to sweep it under the carpet. It seems like it. And another reason that it seems that way is that the director of nursing at that hospital actually gave him a letter of reference or a, you know, reference letter when he left there. So he did put in his notice and he, or he did resign and and she gave him a reference letter that not only said that he was kind of in in the clear and was and left uh, for no fault of his own or, or whatever, but went above and beyond that and just, and said that he had a circumspect, diligent and autonomous work ethic. She said that he acted prudently and in, an objectively correct manner in critical situations. What? Yeah, she didn't mention that he was the one that caused the critical situations. I just want to, and she also referred to his devotedness and cooperative conduct and said that he had completed any assigned task to the utmost satisfaction. See, this is a part of the the case that I read and I just could not believe it. it it's a glowing reference. Like it literally is... Yeah the nicest thing that you could say about your staff. And I just can't understand why she would do that. She, or maybe he, I'm not entirely sure. When there's so much suspicion around this person, you do not want him to get another nursing job. Why are you trying to facilitate that? I just couldn't believe that at all. And then it made me think, do you think that it could be you know, a a reference template that she's used and she's not actually looked at the person she's given the reference to and is just oh. and just giving out a reference that she's prepared for everybody. Wow, well, that's I don't know which one is scarier, honestly, yeah. when I think about that. I know. Because then that means I guess every nurse that leaves there that has a halfway decent or doesn't have something against them, they just get this kind of form letter. Yeah. But the thing is, I don't know. And maybe she didn't think he was guilty of those things. Maybe she felt like he was being railroaded and that he was being treated unfairly and or bullied by some people. Who knows what kind of relationship this woman maybe had with him as far as maybe she knew him and, and just thought there's no way that he's guilty of this. Mm. Trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's hard when we know the details of what he did. Yeah. It's hard for us to think that someone would write a letter like this for, on his behalf. And then, of course, knowing what he went on to do, which is, yeah. You know, and it would be hard not to feel guilty, you know, in her position that, you know, yeah. that she may have contributed to the further deaths that he would be responsible for. But I believe that perhaps they were looking at investigating those people that had allowed this to go on for so long as well, once he finally confessed. Yeah. And well, and I think that it's really hard because there's another case that's going on currently in the UK. There's a girl who worked in a NICU who, uh, I want to say over a year ago, it's been a while, was accused of deliberately harming babies in the NICU. Mm -hmm. And there had been apparently several deaths that where she was working uh, at the same time. There aren't a whole lot of details about the case because I think they charged her, but they're kind of being hush-hush about all the details. Yeah. And and it's just being drug out. Mm-hmm. But her name was leaked out and I don't think it was supposed to be, but her name was leaked out, which is really kind of unfortunate because when you accuse someone of something like this, it's one thing for us to talk about this nurse who we know he definitely did it. It's another thing to talk about a nurse who is currently working. We don't know anything about any of the evidence. So if for some reason this is really uh not her fault or not anything that she did, imagine the devastation it could cause for her and her family. Because even if she's acquitted of the crime, it's going to create a stigma around her and people are probably never going to be able to, there will always be people who maybe will believe that that there's some truth to it. Yeah, there always will be. She'll never really get away from that um, if she hadn't done it. Yeah. Yeah, Um, so I kind of get it. I kind of see where a hospital, a director of nursing or people surrounding him, if they they don't feel like they have really good evidence, would want to be careful to not slander someone or not ruin someone's life with these accusations. Yeah. And no, I can can see that from that point of view as well. I really can. Um, And this is how, you know, some people can slip under the cracks is because we want to believe the best in people and we don't want to accuse people of things um, that we can't even comprehend that they would be capable of. Right, exactly. Yeah. So in December of 2002, he was transferred to 
the Delm, Delmenhorst Clinic and events involving sudden arrhythmias or decreases in blood pressure started happening mm-hmm. while he was on duty there. Apparently when he first began working there, he had an excellent reputation. Everyone really liked him. Yeah. But then after a while, his coworkers started getting suspicious. They found four empty vials of an antiarrhythmic medication um, on the unit there where he worked. And that specific medication that was there open, mm-hmm. there was not, there weren't any patients on the floor that that had been prescribed for. There was no reason for it to be there. Yeah. Yeah, so that's really highly suspicious. And my question was, you know, I wonder how he even was getting this medication. You know, I couldn't find any. Oh, yeah. I couldn't find any information on that at all. Yeah, that's a really good question. Now, this is 2002. It's still, you know, it's not all the way back in the day, but it's maybe long enough ago that that not all facilities would have had a locked uh, sort of mechanism, a cabinet the way that here our cabinets, I think, are called Pixis systems or Omnicells, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They're probably called something different over there. But they're just locked cabinets that count all of the medications and they know exactly who logs in and what they have taken out, what they've accessed, how many are left. Well, that's fancy. Mm-hmm. So you really are going to have a hard time getting away with things like that. Here in the United States and most of most major medical centers Although people will continue to do it, I'm sure, but um, it's, it's a lot more difficult. But maybe back in 2002, they it was just in a cabinet somewhere. I don't know. I mean, in a lot of places, you know, we're kind of behind the times, I think, compared to you guys. But a lot of our wards will still have cabinets and, you know, it will be a, a nurse audit that will be counting the tablets rather than it being, you know, computerized. Uh, so I can see how something like that can slip through the cracks there is usually a log of of who has the keys and you would know who you gave the keys to. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if people weren't even prescribed this in the ward, you know, there's a chance that that medication wasn't even, you know, wasn't even on the ward. So it's a wonder maybe he was taking it from elsewhere or he was sourcing it maybe online or something like that. Yeah, there's, I guess, a number of things he could have been doing. Maybe if he at some point did have a patient on that medicine and he was just kind of... Stockpiling it, maybe? Yeah, maybe stockpiling it. Yeah, Yeah. there's no telling what all uh, kind of things he came up with in order to be able to do all of the things that he did. Yeah, and it seems like he, he stuck to the same sort of medication, you know, he he, yeah. he favored that the, the antiarrhythmic medications. I think because, as you said at the start, Angel of Death, he wanted to be in that situation where he was saving that patient's life. Right. I think he wanted them to go into some sort of an arrhythmia so that he could then jump into action and save their life or at least try and be the hero or yeah. be seen for his amazing efforts. So... Even though they found these four vials while he was working and he had had, you know, these events and his coworkers were becoming suspicious, no one, I guess no one reported it because there was not really an official record of this happening. No, no. They just sort of let it go by. Mm -hmm. They just let that one go. And then on June 22nd of 2005, his coworkers caught him in the act of administering that same drug that they found uh, the four vials of, they found that same, him putting that same medication into an IV pump of one of a patient that wasn't, didn't have a reason for it. There, it was, there was no medical need for it. There was no yeah. order for it. And so... They can't really sweep that under the rug then, can't they? That's, that's evidence, that's cold hard evidence that shows, proves what exactly. he's been doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, there was no denying it. Uh, police had to get involved and start investigating. Mm-hmm. When, they, when they did, they discovered there had been multiple attempts made by employees that worked there with him to report concerns about him. Oh, gosh. That's so sad. Yeah. Is that not horrifying? Imagine working with this man and, and suspecting what you, what you did and knowing that you reported it and he's still there and he's still working and he's still... Still has patience in his hands and oh, yeah, that must be awful. Yeah. And all of the people around him, knowing this, knowing there's innocent people that are there as patients, knowing people have their family members there, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. 
they were they then they decided we need to investigate all of the deaths that occurred at the hospital while he had been a nurse there. Yeah. Between 2003 2005 and they discovered that the number of deaths had doubled during his employment there. Wow. Yeah, and in 2005 they were able to connect him to 73% of all of the deaths that occurred that year at the hospital. That's an unbelievable amount. That's just, (laughs) I just can't comprehend those numbers. I mean, unbelievable. It's just, it's hard to understand that this went on over a period of years and that it wasn't investigated earlier. It's, It's really shocking. So in December 2006, regarding that incident that happened specifically with the IV pump, yeah, he was sentenced to five years in prison and was banned from working for another five years. That was his initial sentence Mm -hmm. for messing with that pump, which my thought was he's going to go to prison for five years, then not have to, then not work for five years. Then he can work after that. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. (laughs) It's like, I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. But thankfully it looks like they appealed that. Yes. So I guess the, and it, and it said co-plaintiff, so I am assuming that might be a victim's family, maybe. Yeah, I think it would be. I think it would be, and, well, that would just be the one victim in this case. So it would be the the person they had, they had attempted to, to administer that drug to. I, yes. Either that person or their family. Yes. And when they appealed that sentence, the sentence was reversed. And then he was given a seven and a half year prison sentence and banned from working forever yeah. for, for the rest of his life, which certainly <laughs> was more appropriate. I think, yeah, we would both agree that should be at least what he was given at, at the start. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Now, while he's in prison for this incident, okay, serving his seven years, the police continued to investigate all of the deaths at that hospital. They were gathering information, gathering evidence, and they were able to gather enough evidence to charge him on three counts of murder and two counts of attempted murder. Mm. Once they approached him about it and charged him, he confessed to the charges and then admitted that he had committed an additional 30 murders. Oh, I mean, I wonder what, why he wanted to admit that. I wonder where that came from. I wonder if he wasn't just tired of it, maybe. Yeah. It just seems like... He was just ready to admit to all and ready for not to be worrying about when he was going to be found out, maybe. Because he's in prison. He's probably... He's ruined his life. I'm sure his wife... Everyone knows that he has done this. And if he's being accused of these additional murders, these three counts of murder or two counts. He knows, well, I've been convicted of tampering with this ivy pump. I've got all these witnesses. I'm going to get convicted of these three counts and of murder and, and the two counts of attempted murder. So I might as well confess. That makes sense to me. And he said he actually, <laughs> yeah. And he's probably just exhausted. Like, eh, whatever. Mm-hmm. I might as well tell him. And he actually said that he injected 90 patients causing cardiac events, but that 60 of them had been resuscitated. And then in February of 2015, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And prosecutors said basically that he acted out of boredom and the desire to show off his resuscitation skills. And that was the reason, that was the only reason that he had for, for doing it. Just really, he's basically a monster that doesn't care about human life, has no... And yeah, I wonder, like, as you say, if he didn't even see these people as people, but rather, you know, something that he could show off on. Um, and he just lacked that empathy that all nurses need to have. Yeah. He just did not value human life whatsoever. Not at all. Very scary. Someone like that working in, in the medical profession at all, let alone yeah. nursing. So a special commission called Cardio, and it's spelled K-A-R-D-I-O was started to investigate any additional deaths that may have been caused by him. They investigated over 200 deaths that had occurred, I guess, while he was working that seemed Mm -hmm. suspicious. They exhumed 134 bodies in Germany, Poland, and Turkey. That's a lot. And they they did autopsies. And a lot of the bodies were too badly decomposed, so they weren't able to necessarily detect any traces of that medication. That's really the only thing they would be able to to do would be able to find that 
the trace of the medicine that would help because if if they had it in their body and they didn't have any indication for it, it yeah. wasn't ordered at the time they were there, yeah. then they would know. But they they were able to find it in many of them. And so they were able to prove 37 deaths that were caused by mm-hmm. him. But because he had already been convicted and sentenced to life without parole and Germany doesn't have a death penalty, then they wouldn't, they just decided not to charge him for the murders because it seemed, I guess, to them to not really make sense to do that and waste, I guess, the taxpayers' money. I, I don't know how they look at it. <laughs> I mean, I get that. I get why they wouldn't want to charge him again since he's not getting out of prison at all. But then why why exhume all these bodies and, and you mm-hmm. know, why, you know, cause that the families to go through that um, and, you know, all this time spent and and, provi- and performing autopsies if you aren't then going to act on that investigation that you're doing. I, I don't quite understand doing one but not the other. Exactly. I I don't really understand it either. I don't know if maybe the, the people in charge that were making decisions as to what was going to happen, maybe to were ch- with over the over time was changing hands and yeah. and then maybe they decided, well, if maybe the person who started it that wanted to all the answers, wanted family to have closure, wanted to that way family could not could not just be wondering forever if their family member really died of what they thought they did or if yeah. it was intentional. There was just a lot at stake. Yeah. And the hospital would be responsible for for this. Who's responsible for this? Because he acted on behalf of the hospital. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah. there's going to be financial ramifications for this as well, yeah. and so who gets who is going to get that is going to depend, I guess, on their investigation and what they discover. Yeah, yeah. I Maybe. mean, that makes sense. I suppose you're not just investigating for criminal charges, but you know, for for the family to have answers and and for the hospital to have answers and to know if they were responsible or not. That makes sense. Yeah. And I have so many questions for you, Tina. I feel like I'm always just asking questions. I feel like I'm always just making stuff up that I really don't know the answer to. <laughs> I've, done, I've done so many of these stories that I'm just like, I feel like I probably, I could come up with something that sounds halfway good, you know? <laughs> that works. Well, I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> and these things happen all over, um, even in the United States from state to state, laws differ and, and regulations mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So it's really kind of hard to really know what the reasoning behind something or why this state decided to do this or that state yeah. decided to do that. Or then you go to a completely different country and who knows, you know, anything goes. Yeah. But. <laughs> I know. But the number of murders, it would change over time. They would come back and say, oh, we're charging him with this many. Uh, we're charging him with this many and they would increase. And then mm-hmm. I, it just, it was kind of weird over time as they were investigating, it would change pretty often. And yeah. they would kind of go back and forth as to whether or not to prosecute him for the additional deaths. And then in 2017, you alluded to this earlier, they announced they did intend to file charges against other hospital staff who failed to act. Yeah. This is kind of a cautionary tale for people who want, who are like, well, it's none of my business. I don't want to get involved. Uh, Stop and think about not only is it the right thing to do or your integrity or what's the right thing to do for the patient and the family and potential other victims, but think about also that if if for some reason you decide that you're okay with not saying anything, you could be held accountable for it at some point if it's determined that you knew something about it and you didn't say anything. Absolutely. Um, Not only could it be your license, it could be the matter of a criminal conviction or not. Yes. You know, these police are charging people with, with not acting in the way that they should have. So, yeah, I'd say it's hard when you're in that situation, mm-hmm. but think about the potential consequences. Yes. And I, I, again, I guess people, it's really hard because you have only your view and your perspective of what's going on. And if your perspective is that you are one nurse working in a cardiovascular ICU alongside another nurse who you see do something that looks a little off or is acting a little strangely, but that's all you see, or you find these vials that are empty and it seems a little strange, like where did they come from? And this nurse happens to work there. Some things like that, that kind of keep adding up and your gut is telling you that you should tell someone, 
at some point, all of this evidence becomes impossible to ignore. And it has yeah. to be that any, any reasonable person would have said something. Yeah. So your gut's telling you something perhaps because you've noticed other things mm-hmm. or other things have added up in a way that you haven't really realized. So it's a lot about basing that gut feeling on perhaps there's other evidence out there. And if you report that, then maybe other people have reported similar things and, and that can then add up to someone being found out for doing things that they should not be doing. Yes, exactly. So in January of 2018, so we're getting a little closer here to present day, they decided to Mm -hmm. press charges against him for the murders of 100 patients between February 7th, 2000 and June 24th, 2005. The victims were between 34 and 96. I said, I think I said 36 and 94, but 34 and 96 years old. So the main trial for for this, for all of these murders, for this hundred murders began in October of 2018. And because there were so many people involved in the trial, there were 120 joint plaintiffs. So I'm assuming that's like family. um, Yeah, I'd say so. Prosecutors. Uh They had to hold this trial in the Wesser M's Holland ballrooms. I don't know know where that is, but it sounds really big. (laughs) It's really big and really fancy. I know. I, I picture Pride and Prejudice and those big ballrooms. That's all I know. Big chandeliers. Yeah. Yeah. It just Everyone seems, has to turn up in their ball gowns. Yeah. It seems that. Yeah. And like hair with the big curls and stuff. It just... <laughs> uh, and I guess the men with the wigs on and all that. I don't know if, it, if they do that oh, yeah. there or not. But it's it seems really odd to me. Does it not? I mean, that seems like a, almost like a circus. It does seem like a circus. It seems like that would be very hard to manage. Yeah. So the 2018-2019 court proceedings went over a total of 24 days. And out of the 100 murder charges, he confessed to 43 on the first day of trial. Oh. Said he couldn't recall 52 of them. He just wasn't sure. He just... (laughs) He didn't remember. Didn't remember. It's so sad. I mean, that is just so callous, isn't it? That you've literally been involved in so many deaths that you can't remember whether you did it or not. Yeah. Those, it's just awful. Those poor people, those poor families, they remember those days that that family member died. It's just awful. Absolutely. He really, he came right out and flat denied his involvement in five of the deaths, which is really odd to me. It makes me think, what is he, how does he know those five? Yeah. I don't know. And yeah, why, what is your reasoning for, I mean, you have to be certain that you weren't involved. Yeah. Especially if you're confessing to 43. It's just so random, the numbers. He seems a little manipulative, almost like he was enjoying this whole process and kind of having mm-hmm. control over it and giving a little bit of information, but not all of the information. I don't know. Yeah. I kind of think yeah, he no. maybe liked the attention of it. There has to be, I mean, he clearly likes the attention. That, that's why he was causing people to have arrhythmias and so they could perform the the CPR on them. So he, I think he likes the attention, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, I think so um, too. I've got to say, sorry, I should have said this at the start of the podcast, but it's bonfire night here. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of bonfire night. Um, in the UK, it's on the 5th of November and we have... All around the country, we have bonfires and fireworks. So I don't know if you can hear the fireworks in the background, but there's a lot of fireworks <laughs> happening right now um, outside my house. So just in case you can hear that on the recording, that's the reason why. <laughs> that's wonderful. I have never heard of that before, but that sounds like a lot of fun. It's something we should start here in the United States, people. Let's do it. I love yeah. it. That sounds like fun. It's good. I mean, it's it's kind of like a historical celebration of someone that tried to blow up the Houses of Parliament oh. um, many years ago. And that, that person was then, I think he was burned at the stake. Oh. And so that's why we have bonfires, oh is to celebrate that. Dear. Yeah. But well. it's just nice to look at fireworks. It's nice to look at fireworks. Oh, I love fireworks. <laughs> I love them. Yeah, me too. We have some really <laughs> odd holidays here in the United States too that are celebrating people that you look back and go, why are we celebrating that person? We all know yeah. what he really did now. Why are, Why have we not wiped that <laughs> off of the calendar? I know. <laughs> it's just, you know, but you know, it takes time sometimes things like that. Yeah. But, and, and if know. it turns into a fun event like that, you know, you don't really want to stop that. But Yeah. Most people don't remember the history behind it. It's yes. just, oh, that's the night we have fireworks. Exactly. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So 
they did sentence him to life in prison with what they call in Germany, severe gravity of guilt. And I guess when they attach that to a sentence, it pretty much increases the severity of the sentence and then also keeps that person from ever having a chance of early release because I guess otherwise he may have had a a possibility to get out after 15 years. Maybe they assess his situation and whether he has good behavior and all that. And they, the judge definitely did not want him getting out. So he added that se- severe gravity of guilt to the sentence that said, you're not going anywhere. You're going to be in here forever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was found guilty on 85 separate murder charges, found not guilty on 15 further murder charges. And then he and a joint plaintiff have appealed the verdict. I don't know why a joint plaintiff... So a joint plaintiff, I would imagine, is one of those 124 people that were on the other side. Yeah. And and I don't know why they would appeal the verdict. Maybe they're one of the 15 that were found not guilty. Oh. And they're trying to appeal that to be like... Okay, yeah. No, you need to find him guilty. I guess I see that. It's it's just like, I, I, I don't want to discount their position at all for wanting justice for their family. Boy, it does seem I know. like dragging that whole thing out and keeping every, and, and giving him what he really wants. And that's attention and the spotlight, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he appealed it, of course, because I guess he wants a different sentence. Maybe he wants the opportunity to get out at some point. And so- Which he, is just so bizarre to me. It's like, if you're going to admit to at least murdering 43 people, then you have to know that you're not getting out of prison. Yeah. Yeah. You have to know. And I think that he probably, again, he probably likes the attention, wants to keep it going, wants to keep himself in the spotlight, have uh, reasons to get out of prison and go to court and appear and just have all of the the circus that's that's surrounding this this whole situation. Yeah. There's other reason as to why you will appeal, as you say, you know, it's not just about getting out. It's all the additional things that come with the appeal process. Mm -hmm. And the court decided that the indictment against the four hospital employees that they indicted for not doing, not acting when they, when they kind of knew or Mm -hmm. suspect what he was doing, they're going to try them once his verdict is final because... oh. Only then is he going to be obligated to testify at the trial against them. So until he is completely, until his verdict is final and he has no more, he's exhausted all of his appeals and his case is totally closed, then he has the right to refuse testimony because it could affect his trial. And so he wishes to exert that right and not have to testify against those people at their trials. And so they were going to wait until he's completely finished with his case, then try those four people and then call him in to testify. I guess I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're going to want to know what did, did you ever confess to any of your coworkers? What did you say? Mm-hmm. What exactly happened? Did anybody ever catch you doing anything that they didn't say anything? Did anybody cover for you? Did anyone <sighs> find out, see you make a med error and or see you do something wrong and, and then cover for you and uh huh. Yeah. Gosh, they really want. They really must want to um, get guilty verdicts for these people. Then, if they're going to wait that long, yeah. Um, in order to get him to testify. Wow, that's going to be interesting when all that comes to light as well. As it is to, as to what people knew. It really is, and it's what this is one of the reasons that we do this these stories on good nurse bad nurses to bring awareness to these. For one thing, obviously, bring an awareness to the activities these nurses are doing, so that we as good nurses, as people who are nurses and also other medical professionals are wonderful people who mm-hmm. want to help people and would never harm on purpose. But we need to be aware that these people exist and be on heightened alert. But we also, this helps us to understand how the legal process works. And this is in Germany, but there are many times that things, you know, that's just across the pond. Things happen that are very similar and So I could definitely see something like this happen in the United States and Scotland or wherever where someone decides to make an example of another nurse or another medical professional like that and says, well, you knew that this was going on and we're going to make an example out of you because 
or for whatever reason. We want to, yeah, we want to make sure nobody else does the same thing that you did. Yeah, and kind of force people in the future, if you know something, mm-hmm. to step up and say something instead of just kind of being the coward and, and, and not saying anything. So this yeah. is one of the reasons that we do these stories that kind of sort of seems like sometimes it is highlighting and giving a spotlight to these bad people, but it's not, that's not the purpose. The purpose is if you don't talk about it and if you don't talk about these things that happen, for one thing, you forget the victims. You don't think about what really happened to those people. That's not honoring them at all, just sweeping it under the rug and not talking about it. And for another thing, we need to be aware that this goes on and aware of all of the, the things that can happen to to innocent people, innocent uh, nurses, just doing your job, just trying to be, trying to do the right thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So after the 2015 sentence became valid, both the Delman Horse Clinic and the Oldenburg Clinic, both those hospitals where he worked, they stated their intention to compensate the, the victim's relatives. And in July of 2015, both clinics announced their plans of being the first clinics in Germany to introduce a process that they called qualified ne- necropsy. No, how do you say that? Necrop- necropsy. Necropsy. Oh my god! <laughs> how do we say this? Necropsy. Ne- right. Necropsy. Yeah, necropsy. A qualified necropsy. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why my it doesn't sound right when I'm saying it out loud, but. <laughs> <laughs> So they introduced this new process and apparently created a whole new word that I don't even know. I've never heard of before. <laughs> maybe it's just a translation from German. It's maybe. It's confusing. It's not a word, people. Stop it. Uh, but this pretty much just adds an additional coroner. And that second set of eyes is supposed to prevent unnatural causes of death owing to criminal actions from going unnoticed. So... I guess that was our bad nurse story. I was I was kind of dreading doing this story all this time because I was just like another mm-hmm. one of those stories, these dadgum nurses. It's just, it, for one thing, I feel like it's just embarrassing that there are nurses that do this sort of thing. But so I'm glad I kind of have this one out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's done. You don't need to think about it again. <laughs> yeah, but I think there's definitely some lessons to be learned from it. So I'm glad we did it for sure. Me too. So I guess that's it. We'll go on into our good nurse story. And this is a Scotland nurse who... Yay! I love this because it's not just like nurse of the year, which is wonderful enough as it is. We have some nurse of the year awards here. This is uh-huh. woman of the year that is a I nurse. Know. So I mean, how amazing. Like, she. I mean, she's some woman. She's definitely deserving <laughs> of the of the title. But yeah, it's, it's a really, you know, in comparison to the, the case we've just discussed, oh. this is a really heartwarming um, and inspirational nurse. Yes. And that's why we do, of course, the good nurse or the good story at the end, because we want to remind people about all the wonderful people out there working in the medical field who do amazing things. And this is Jennifer Rogers. She's the chief nurse for pediatrics and neonatal at the Royal Hospital for Children there in Scotland, and she was recognized for her outstanding work and received the award for her services to medicine because she did, she created a program called What Matters to Me. And it's, I guess, where she has children draw or, or write, you know, what matters on posters. Mm-hmm. And, and then that helps then, uh, sort of create a person-centered medical care, I guess, for that patient. Is that kind of what you were understanding? Yeah, that's what I got. I mean, one thing that, Another thing that we do as well as evidence-based care is we want to make it all person-centered as well. Um, So trying to find out what that patient wants out of their care, um, you know, is really important of keeping them involved. Um, And I think that there was a few... There's been a few pilot studies, one they did um, with children in the emergency room and they they asked, they asked them at three different stages throughout their sort of emergency room experience, you know, what would, what's important to you right now? And they found that the answers sort of changed as, as they went on. And from there, they've sort of tailored the care that they've given and they've changed different aspects of it, such as providing, you know, more age-based um, toys and, and things to keep them occupied and 
and also different areas where they can give them medication if they're sitting in pain um, because they didn't feel like they wanted to have that treatment out in the waiting room, which is what they were receiving at that time. But one of the main things I think about this programme is it's now international. So I think it's been used not just in paediatrics, but sort of service-wide and not just in Scotland now, but um, in different countries throughout the world um, as a way of trying to get more person-centred care um, and what's important for that patient, which I think is, you know, it's so important to be able to include that patient in, in the aspects of the care if they can be involved in it. I think that's wonderful. It's very important uh, to the patient because everybody's different. Everyone's yeah. different. They're all, we're all individuals. And that's, that's what sets us apart. That's, we, it's so important that we all be treated as individuals. And this, what, she, this, what she's created here is just wonderful for these children. Yeah, absolutely. I think she's, she's, she's been a, a nurse and she's had quite a lot of experiences as being a nurse as well. So, um, I believe here she, she's been in Australia and New Zealand and she was nursing out there. Uh, she was nursing in the outback in Australia as well. So, I mean, that's an adventure in itself. And, you know, as well as doing her nursing degree, she then went on to do her master's um, and getting other awards throughout her career as well. So mm-hmm. she's, she's a very, well, so I don't even know the word for it. She's, she's an inspiration. Um, she has many awards which she's very deserving of um and she, do you know what just looking at her she looks she looks lovely she looks like a person that you'd want to be friends with yeah um and especially if you're a pediatric nurse I think you need to have that element of you know being friendly and being warm and open and that's a very important part of it yes I think she sounds like the the kind of nurse who really wants to make a difference on a large scale and mm-hmm. I think many times nurses think well, I can make a difference in the life of maybe one person, and that—that that is true. It's, you can make the you can. Our job gives us the ability to make a difference in the life of any of our patients that we come in contact with. But there, we do have the ability to make a difference on a much larger scale by doing things like this. And that's we want to definitely yeah. bring attention to that sort of thing because anyone can do this. She started out as a nurse, just and then just yeah. progressed and kept had ambition and wanted to move up and and do more and worked hard and has reached this level to where she's over like a thousand nurses and 300 mm-hmm. uh, ancillary staff. And so she's a very hardworking, very important person who's making a difference, which I think is yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, she she's also, I just was reading there, um, she has also won Scottish Nurse of the Year too. In 2013, she she was awarded that also. So oh. yeah, um, a, a woman that has achieved a lot in her life, both professionally and through recognition by award people. <laughs> What's the word for that, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> and it's longer for you because it's like five hours later over there. It's like 3.45 yeah. in the afternoon here. So, Oh, is it? So what would that mean at like quarter to nine over here now? Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> I did good math there. I yeah. got the approval by Craig. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that will wrap it up for this episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Remind everyone where they can find you, Gemma. Uh, so you can find our podcast, Witch Murderer. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes. We're on Google Podcasts as well. Where else? Stitcher. Oh, and then you can find us on social media as well. Um, we have a Facebook group, which is fairly new. Um, we're trying to build the numbers there for good discussions. So that's also Witch Murderer podcast on Facebook and then our usual Instagram and Twitter. That's usually manned by my co-host Holly because you know she's just better at it than me. I'm not not all that clued up on the social media aspect of it, but we all have our strengths. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we're busy too, I'm sure. I'm I'm very busy, so it's hard for me to 
to get, that's one of my goals is to kind of up my game on my social media at some point, or maybe, I don't know, somehow figure out how to, I enjoy doing it because I enjoy the connection with my listeners. It's just hard to find the time because I do still, I work full time, you know, at the hospital. So it's, it's all, it's all a bit much sometimes, but. I know the feeling. (laughs) I definitely know the feeling. (laughs) But it's been so much fun, Tina. I've really enjoyed it. This Let's is... not leave it as long next time. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> definitely yeah. not. All right. Well, I guess that wraps it up for us. And you guys can, of course, find us on our website at www.goodnursebadnurse.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at Podcast and Facebook at GNB and Podcast. Or you can send me an email at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. And also, I want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be be a good nurse. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to like, I don't know, put it on my car. (laughs) We need to make bumper stickers. Yeah, bumper sticker for that, Tina. It's good. (laughs)